Welcome to Tony's Game Lounge, a weekly podcast talking all things in the gaming industry. Everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of Tony's Game Lounge. I'm your host, Tony Erickson, and joining me this week, I've been trying to get him on the show for a long while now. He is my dungeon master and yours. Introduce yourself, sir. My name is Preston Myers, and he's right. I am a dungeon master. <laughs> yes, uh, honestly, um, at least with my experience, one of the best in the biz there is, even though he's not getting paid for it, but he totally could be. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, dude, still I, new. <laughs> still new, but like it doesn't show. Like oh. that's how good it is. Thank you very much. The, the fact that you've made me cry in a session is really good. B- <laughs> both happiness and fear. Okay, because I was going to say, if I'm making you cry, then I'm <laughs> probably do something really good or really wrong. Both. Uh, I will we'll be getting into Dungeons and Dragons a little bit later in the show, if you couldn't tell with our guest and everything. But uh, we'll be getting into some of those moments later on. But first, Preston, we're going to play a little game I like to call Favorites. Oh, boy. Okay. So uh, it's pretty simple, pretty simple. Uh, I want you to tell me your favorite video game, favorite video game character, video game soundtrack and what you're looking forward to in the remainder of 2020 okay favorite video game uh, can i'll say soundtrack and game is journey from that game company and that's what the name of the company is it's called that game company um okay a very artistic game very beautiful very straightforward story um, you kind of make up your own story as to why you're on said journey, but it's essentially mm-hmm. a plot from A to B, and it's really artistic in its meaning, so you can really interpret it how you want. However, uh, the character in that is not my favorite, even though it looks amazing. My favorite mm-hmm. character, I would have to say, honestly, well, that's a heavy question, but uh, I'd go with Doom Guy. Ooh, <laughs> Doom Guy. Nice. That's a good choice. Why, why Doom Guy in particular? Um, because he he has the big strong energy that no matter what you do, whenever you watch him, it's humorous. He's tough. He's a badass. He makes you feel great when you're playing. And he has a lot of fan art with Isabel from Animal Crossing. It's wholesome and brutal at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, those are my three favorites. Was there a fourth one that I'm forgetting? Uh, yes. What are you looking forward to with the remainder of 2020? Uh, it's been a crazy year. So honestly, I hope Cyberpunk can put it together. I mean, here's the thing. Even though they did delay it to November second, was it second or ninth? I think it's the second. S- yeah. Yeah, the second. They 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 said in the post of when they announced it is like the game's done. We're just Fine, uh, ironing out, ironing out the shit. Yes. So, <laughs> I, I think I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see it. Um, this year, hopefully. But yeah, that's the pretty big thing. Oh, because Keanu Reeves is in it, and he's great. So. Oh yeah. You, uh, I'll assume you saw the new the uh, the twenty five minute presentation. Yes. Yes, I did. I, I like my favorite part in the trailer was just Keanu saying "fuck." 
It, uh, <laughs> yes, dropping f bombs from someone so wholesome is kind of interesting. I it's, hope he, yeah, I hope he plays a pretty dark role. Yeah, and um, we were originally going to have you on last week, but uh, circumstances changed. We got Cole on, and it was a good episode. But like, I do want to hear your thoughts a little bit on uh, Cyberpunk before we jump into things, because I know that you are very excited for that game. I think it's more of it's a contrast as to what's been going on in the world. I think it's a company that's just not really caring about, you know, political agenda and just making a game for the sake of it being a game. Um, because as an, I know there's like, there's a minority of people that are very loud and they want to be heard and they want to fight. Cause it's a very us versus them kind of world we're living in right now. Yes. And I think cyberpunk not only the it looks beautiful, it looks like fun, and you can get creative and do wild things in it. But I think it's mainly the point of interest for me is that it's like a breath of fresh air. It's mm. definitely you can sit down and just forget about all the problems in the world. You know, yeah, I feel like Cyberpunk will have a very big impact, like how Animal Crossing did with the beginning of the year. Yeah, with how it was just like an escape from reality. Honestly, and I feel yes. like cyberpunk will offer like almost like a with how big it's going to be. It's going to be like almost what we need another what we're going to need for the end of the year. I'm I'm very much excited. I just hope I don't get disappointed. <laughs> you know, what? I, I, I with everything they've shown off, I'm I am very much excited too. And yeah, like I, I don't think we'll get disappointed with it. I really don't think so. But you know, you never know, and that is like the one thing to say is like we do, we do never know. But like considering CD Projekt Red's history, it's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's you know, The Witcher. I mean, very good Witcher games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're pretty committed to making a good game. Yeah, um, exactly. But uh, so, uh, yeah. all right. Well, with that, we're gonna jump right into the first segment, which is of course the week in review where we cover some major game releases and news from this past week as for some games that came out this past week iron man vr dropped on the playstation vr Mm -hmm. Uh, hunting simulator 2 came out on everything but the switch and biped a little co-op game where you're two little robots kind of like co-op controls but it's a co-op game where you're little robots in a 3d area it's kind of cute is on the switch now as for some news that came out um a big one was uh, the new Animal Crossing update came out this past Friday. It added the diving aspect of the game, which was in New Leaf. Um, And it's added 40 new creatures that you can uh, dive to collect, uh, including sea cucumbers, uh, anemones, uh, scallops, crabs, octopus, all that fun stuff. Uh, Here's one that I think... um, you play, you you play Warhammer 40k right Preston? Uh yes yes I do. Uh well have you seen that they dropped their ninth edition rule set and the rules are now free to download? Yeah no I've I've been seeing that and my army that I like to play. Um, unfortunately I don't really have anyone to play with anymore. Uh, I had a bit <laughs> of a falling out with some of the people I play with, but uh, um yeah no I I, I play the Tyranids. And I think they're cool. They're scary, very xenomorph-like, and uh, Ooh. I'm I'm just really excited to see what they do with this new edition. But uh, alrighty, uh, the consoles, um, and I believe like mostly the Bedrock editions have finally seen their uh, release for the Nether update in Minecraft, adding in three 
to I, I can't remember if it's three or four new I believe it's four new biomes to the nether. Uh, the new mob known as the Piglin replacing the zombie pigmen. It's now piglins, uh, and they won't attack you if you're wearing gold. Otherwise, they'll go ham on your ass. Uh, the Hoglins, which are big-ass boars, and now a way to get food in the nether. Um, and uh, a stronger armor, better than diamond. Oh, boy. It's uh, called netherite, um, and it's the ra- it's even rarer to find than diamond. And um, thankfully, though, you only need about one ingot of it, and you're able to turn uh, your diamond stuff into netherite stuff. It's kind of like an upgrade to diamond. Okay. And that's how it, that's how it works. Uh, that's at least how it worked in the old patches. I don't know if they did change it at all uh, in any of the snapshots before the official release, but that's how I saw it, and that's how I think it still is. But uh, I'll be playing some of that later in this week to kind of jump back into Minecraft and check out what the Nether update's all about. Uh, Crisis Remastered is getting delayed because of a uh, poor fan reaction from the trailer. <laughs> yeah, I, um, they're, they're just delaying it. Um, I don't think I don't really know the exact reasons. The article I looked at didn't really dive into too much aside from that. But um, in other news, Final Fantasy XIV's next patch is also been delayed, but it's uh, just delayed to August 11th. Uh, Fortnite. Here's some Fortnite news. Uh, the first one, uh, their their final uh, Epic Games has announced that Fortnite is leaving early access. Huh. Yep. With where they want to take the game and, and it's going, it's leaving early access, and they're also going to be you're going to be able to if you to buy the there is like they're going to be st- stopping updating the single player or like the horde mode, I guess, where you fight the zombies, like what the game originally was. Right. Um, and uh, in more Fortnite news, Captain America is the new skin. Oh. So uh, now you can dab uh, Orange Justice and Krunk on all of the all of the noobs that you kill. All right. That, that <laughs> sentence hurt me a bit. <laughs> um, in free game news, uh, PlayStation's free games for July were announced as NBA 2K20 and Rise of the Tomb Raider, while Xbox Games with Gold is getting Saints Row 2, WRC 8, FIA World Rally, Championship, Dunk Lords, and Juju. And Horizon Zero Dawn is making its way to the PC on August 7th on both Steam and Epic Game Store. That'll be fun. That will be fun. Um, I, did you watch the? I don't know if you watched the PlayStation Five announcements a couple weeks back. Yeah, I saw the. Uh, there's another game. Yeah, uh, Forbidden West coming out next year, I believe, or was it a launch title for? I can't remember the exact date. It's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, Forbidden West, uh, where Alloy makes her way to America, um, and sees what the fuck is going on. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting story because the first game is really well done. I still haven't played it yet, but I want to get get it going. But there's so many other games I need to finish. I say that a lot. Like, there's so many games I want to play, but there's so many I need to finish first. <laughs> I have like two in my backlog right now with Yakuza Five, which I'm just slowly working towards because I'm taking a Yakuza break, and then Yakuza Six after that. And boy, oh boy. 
Uh, but that's all the news from this past week. Now we're going to move on to the releases for the week ahead. On Tuesday, because uh, there's no Monday releases this week, but on Tuesday, Catherine Fullbody makes its premiere on the Switch and Super Liminal comes out on the Xbox One, PS4, and the Switch as well. No Wednesday releases this week either, but on Thursday, uh, CrossCode comes out for the Switch and PS4, and Elden Path of the Forgotten comes out on the Switch and PC. And on Friday, boy, are there a lot on Friday, we got Bloodstained Curse of the Moon coming out on everything. Deadly Premonition 2, A Blessing in Disguise, the sequel to Deadly Premonition, a very popular uh, Nintendo exclusive game, even though it's just like they've just done it with Nintendo consoles, comes out for the Switch. F1 2020 comes out on the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town drops on the European eShop for the Switch. NASCAR Heat 5 comes out for the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And Sword Art Online, Alakazation Lycoris drops on the PS4, PC, and Xbox One. And those are the game releases for this week. Any any comments on those, Preston? Not really many on them. I have uh, in in terms of games coming out. Sure, I'm I'm excited about a bunch of them. But really, it's just been the PS5 reveal stuff that I've been up to date with. There's unfortunately recently there's not a lot of games that are too interesting for me um, right now. It's that, uh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fa- that's fair. Everybody has their own tastes. Yeah. Um, but those were this week's game releases, and now we're going to jump in to the meat and potatoes. It's time for our first topic, and that topic today is speedrunning. A very uh, unique form of playing a game really fast. Yes, it's. I've seen a few of few speedruns. So let, let's start with this. What have you watched? What have you watched speedruns of, Preston? Let's let's start there. Mainly a lot of Dark Souls, and I actually watched the Doom Eternal. Speedrun. Um, what's that game that Bethesda released? It takes place in space. Um, uh, oh, like um, outer world. outer worlds. Yeah, I saw a speedrun of that. It's mainly I like watching speedruns and watching the devs react to react it. to them. Yeah, it's it, that's speedruns are just interesting how people can just somehow find little little ticks in the game that just boost them very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you saw this one. Uh, one of the speedruns that I I love to watch is the SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom speedruns. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite games there is. And uh, so we, when Rehydrated came out, uh, everyone was excited. And they're like, oh, boy, I wonder, like, what the speedrun is. Well, the first, like, official speedrun for, like, uh, any percent came out. Uh, like, a couple, like, Shift, uh, who's the world record holder for it, uh, he dropped it it's under an hour. He was able to do it. First uh, official speed run for it, under an hour. Now, oh, I say, wow. like, first official any percent because there's another category that was discovered on day one. And it's called two spatula percent. Two spatula percent. That's uh, an interesting math mathematic so, title. Um, so in order to beat the game... You need 75 spatulas to enter the chum bucket, beat Robot Spongebob, and then go inside Robot Spongebob and destroy his brain. However, there was a glitch in the game on the PC version where if you're able to input two um, enter commands in the, in the same frame, uh, you can go to the chum bucket lab via a taxi glitch. 
and skip the entire game. <laughs> and the game, the world record for it, the last time I checked that percentage, that shift held was a two nineteen. Wow. Two minutes and 19 seconds is the fastest you that I know of. I don't know if anyone actually beat that record um, at all, but it's like, yeah, it's, or was it a 319? It was, it was like, it was like, it's like very short. And uh, that's like, it's super fast. But then it's like, it's also one of those, I feel like that becomes one of those joke categories almost, where it's just like, you won't find many other ways to like really decrease it and you might as well do it as a joke. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think the more interesting part about speedrunning is just being able to kind of dissect the, the game world and see what it is, mm-hmm. especially in horror games, because it just makes the horror game not scary. <laughs> oh, I, I exactly. Um, also, off topic for a second. uh I wanted to talk to you about this because I know you're a fan of the franchise. Have you seen the trailer for the new Outlast game? Yeah, I'm really hoping they touch up on the first one. The second one wasn't as good as... So the second one was a lot more intense than the mm-hmm. first one. Um, but the first one definitely had more uh, interesting things going on. And I really hope they touch up on that in Outlast 3. Yes. Um, here's have you, have you actually watched an Outlast speedrun at all? Yes. I okay. Saw. Okay. So, what is what are those speedruns like for like a horror game like Outlast? I would like to know. The big bad monsters <laughs> that chase you around—they're not so bad when you just see the speedrunner dodge them. Two seconds, game's over. <laughs> it's it 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 becomes something of it, when the game is designing or designed to make you run away from something, but you run away from it so well that you just outrun literally everything. It's more of an insult than it is of a terror or running away. It's, <laughs> That's it, funny. It, it just puts the villains in the, I don't know, I guess I'll lose kind of state. It's like, okay, I guess I'll die. Okay. I guess I'll go die. <laughs> yeah. There. It's really entertaining to watch big scary things just get noped that's that's really funny <laughs> it's just but, like yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore parkour all over your bulky ass I, i'm no speedrunner, but i've played out last one and i was invited to a friend's house a friend from high school he couldn't beat the game it was too scary for him and he he gives me the controller i am bobbing dodging and weaving easily casually just going through everything since i've played it so many times over i knew where everything was what key items to get what essential items i needed to get to move to the next stage and i plowed through it wow and i completely ruined his experience (laughs) (laughs) oh that's uh that's a that's a time and a half right there yeah i beat the game in about an hour wow that's not bad what's what's what was the speed how does how how long did it take for speedrunner to do it i think it was like not even 20 minutes wow like he it was like i think yeah no because in the very beginning i saw a speedrunner because in the outlast one you get out of the car and you're going up to the insane asylum he started doing this weird floor glitch and just went through the entire floor and i don't know walked around and yeah just cheap through everything good old uh floor clipping oh it's just fantastic it's fantastic um here's a question i do have for you though 
if you could speedrun any game in the world, what game would it be? What game would you invest hours and hours of your life to get a world record speedrun in? Elite Dangerous. Elite Dangerous. Now, yes. you talked about Elite Dangerous before uh, mm-hmm. with me. Um, isn't that game, like, massive? It is a... Um, now, it's not, like, a exact uh, planet for planet, star to star, but it is, size-wise, a one-to-one scale of our actual Milky Way galaxy. Um, and because of that, the... Uh, even with warp speed going really, really fast mm-hmm. in game uh, with a standard warp drive to make you basically jump start a star system um, takes you about three at minimum or three at yeah, minimum maximum, usually eight to get across the whole map minutes or hours weeks. Uh, oh, Yeah. Um, so there's like certain missions you can get in the game that are like, we'll pay you 6 million credits, which in that game is quite a bit um, to take me to Sagittarius A. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a pr- no problem. And then you realize you're on the edge of the galaxy. And it's like, oh, that's nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just dedication to hours and stuff. But I've seen speedrunners because it takes apparently like several weeks of playthrough to get an anaconda which is a gigantic war cruiser ship it's huge massive one of the best ships in the game um and it's like 42 million uh credits or sorry like 115 million credits okay um i've seen someone get that in one day and they didn't get any sleep but uh yeah no if if there's any other speedrunners out there that I haven't looked up yet, I, I'd love to see how they can go from zero to several trillion credits because that's how you really beat the game. Is oh, is to just get the biggest ship there is. Biggest ship, all the ships, as many ships as you can. Okay, so it's more of like a uh, more of like a a goal based, yeah, uh, well, challenges categories. It's, kind of, it's strange because it's broken up into. <laughs> there's no story. Right? Uh-huh. It's it's a space exploration game yeah and you can't really do a story in a one-to-one scale milky way galaxy so which is fair enough they've done it up to combat you go and just clear as many bounties as you can of all the strongest um you know criminals you just kill them all yeah then there's the exploration route um then there's the mining route and the traveling route so traveling is you just you you're a chauffeur for people and you just take them to a to b you take as many as you can or the wealthiest. Um, when you beat the game, you hit like the epic level. So there's really nothing new for you at that point. Same thing with uh, combat. But I think the true, true ending of the game is when you've discovered every planet and every star. And boy, is there a lot of them. Because there's some star systems that have one planet and there's some star systems that have five stars and like 27 planets. Holy shit. It's really massive so uh, here's a question for you i don't know if you know the answer to this has anyone actually done that no but there was somebody in the in the in the elite dangerous community there's something called the fuel rats so if you run out of fuel in the middle of space there's a a separate website you go to you type in your coordinates and ships like dozens of them will fly out to you and give you fuel so you can survive and continue your travel there was somebody who 
copied their trace of each star system they jumped to in a massive line. And through that, on the map, they drew the fuel rat symbol out of the entire Milky Way galaxy. He spent apparently almost a whole year to draw that. Wow, that's dedication. So that that guy has traveled quite far. Do you think to this day there's still like somebody doing a speed run of that game? Um, like, l- like they've done like where they like play it like X amount of hours a day, then they go to sleep, and like their counter is like in the four thousand hour mark right now. Probably it's something like that. It's nuts. God, wow! I, th- I think the speed runs really just come into who can make the money the fastest. Yeah, like, like it's basically like a ship goal of like speed anaconda speed run. Like how lo- how long will it take to how long how fast can you get the anaconda? Yeah, and I think the record right now is just someone did it in a day. That's not too too bad. Consider like considering how big this game is. Yeah, that's not the worst. And it's hard because the game's not user friendly. If you don't know how to fly a spaceship, you can't play the game. Yeah, I would assume it's probably very, very like it's technical. Yeah, I was gonna say like accurate to like what a real spaceship would be, but like yeah, technical is like very, very much the way to put it as well. Yes, but uh, yeah, that's about it, really. Okay, Um, if it were me that was speed running. Um, I would. I feel like a good. Oh man, what would I speed run? I'd love to speed run a Pokemon game. Uh, probably like Platinum, honestly, because I love Platinum so much. I feel right. like that would be like a great one to speed run. Hmm. I feel like you could do that pretty easily. I mean, honestly, all things considered, um, like the big thing is just looking at like what the route is because that's the other thing with a lot of speed runs is they have like a built route um the and the and like especially with games like pokemon the biggest factor for the speed run is the rng right because you do need i feel like i believe you need certain wild pokemon to help progress the story yeah uh, so that way you don't have to reset a gym uh because it's like cut, move, boulder. Oh, that in HM and HM. I feel like like you definitely just like catch a Bidoof right away, and like all your HMs just go to Bidoof. Yeah, <laughs> Bidoof is the best Pokemon. It's God. The true Arceus is really Bidoof. Bidoof. Ay ay ay. I got too much of that thing. Yo, I, yo, uh, I'm, I'm uh, right here. This is uh, my. I vote for Bidoof to be one of the Pokemon in the Crown Tundra DLC for Pokemon Sword and Shield. Just saying, because <laughs> Bidoof isn't in Sword and Shield at all. Like uh, with Sword and Shield, um, which I'm sure you've heard, like it didn't bring in like the entire national deck, so you can't bring in every Pokemon yeah. into the game. Um, 400 made it into the base game, but like, I want to say like a good. Hundred, like between like 80, 80 and a hundred Pokemon are like brand new. Yeah. Um, and then the rest are like coming back from old generations. And then with the Isle of Armor that just came out, they added like a hundred and five new Pokemon that are like came back from old games. That'd be kind of a letdown to see just Bidoof. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, I can't wait to see what new Pokemon got added. Bidoof, what the fuck? 
<laughs> I didn't vote for this. That would be funny. That would be funny though. But uh, yeah, that's that's it for speedruns. That's all I much know about it. Uh, if I was to speedrun the game, I'm just trying to look over any other questions. Oh sure. Oh oh, right. here was another question I have. Um, oh, I have two. I have two more questions for you. Um, what would you say of like all the games out there? What do you say is the would be the easiest game to speedrun? Uh, or like a good starting place for somebody to get into speedrunning? Skyrim. That's not a bad. That's not a bad one. Just learn how to speedrun a quest. Uh, glitch the map. It's a buggy game. Exploit those bugs and yeah. Uh, and there's to- so many tutorials on that sh- about that shit online. I, I bet, and yeah, and you could probably just I don't know, look up a YouTube tutorial. Yeah, how to become a good speedrunner. Yeah, that too. Just look it up. Just, yeah, just Google it. Type it into Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the last one: if you could create a category for any game that has a speedrun, what would it be? How do you, how do you mean make a category? So like, uh, I'll, I'll use a uh, Mario Odyssey for example. Um, there's uh, any percent, which is just to beat the game, get to the end of the game, uh, and trigger the ending cutscene. There's Dark Side, where you do the dark side of the moon, and you beat that boss, and that beats that speedrun. And then there's Darker Side, which is to get to the darker side of the moon and beat the secret level. And then there's 100%, which is to get every moon. Oh, so like... What category of speedrun would I want to see done? No, what would if you could create one? Like for any game, what would, what type of category would you create for a game? Because oh. there's like some random ones as well. There's a naked Mario percent, where you get Mario in his boxers, and that's and that ends the speedrun. Oh, okay. Um, I would say since actually the Elite Dangerous recently had an update, um, where you can buy a entire station pretty much. Ooh. Um, and that's crazy big. Um, and it travels wherever you want. You can't fly it because it's so big and it just teleports into a system with you. But it's, it's basically, yeah, it's, it's bigger than any space station. You may know it's huge. And, uh, I'd like to see someone speed run. I would like someone to speed run, get that and stock it with as many ships as you can. Ooh. How, do you know how many ships it can hold? I think it can hold eight, eight uh, ships. Okay, okay, but that's the thing. I want the, that. That I don't know if the big in the big update that uh, that crew that station that you can get is upgradable because it's one thing to buy the ship outright in stock, but it costs three times more just to upgrade the thing. Jesus Christ! So I guess speed run to upgrade, buy and upgrade it. My God! Okay, I, I would like to see that because if someone can do that, uh, I'd be I'd be amazed. If someone can do that and you post it on the internet, Preston will have content to watch for days. Probably actually days. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. It's like how long is this video? Five days. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, everything we got about speed running. Um, and now we're going to move on to our guest chosen topic. And why don't you intro this, Preston? What are we talking about? 
I'm assuming we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Hell yeah, we are. We're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Something I've wanted to talk about on this podcast for a long time. Uh, but I've, I wanted to make sure I talked about it with you. Okay. Because you are my DM and uh, one of the best there is. So uh, let's let's start with how we were introduced into the game. How I was introduced into Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Um, I was introduced... Uh, I've been playing going 11 years now in Dungeons and Dragons. Jeez. Um, my first few campaigns, that I was I was only a player for the majority of, so about like 10, 10 years. No, 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 no. Eight years uh, as a player straight before I started the Dungeon Master. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I saw some bunch, a bunch of nerds playing at a table with a bunch of pieces of paper and they were laughing. And I was like, I've never seen someone laugh over this much paper before. <laughs> <laughs> I went over and they gave me a character sheet, told me to sit down and I had 30 minutes to spare and I killed 10 goblins and I had a lot of fun and I got into it then. So Preston is the OG goblin slayer. Um, the anime is based off of you. <laughs> I wish that'd be so cool. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I was introduced that way and then became a dungeon master when I kind of said enough's enough. I want, I want people to look at my own story rather than me living in someone else's. Mm-hmm. So my, I want my world out there. So, yeah, that's pretty much how I got introduced into it. All right. As for myself, I got... It was my first year of college uh, down in the bridge. Um, and I can't remember exactly what the conversation was that sparked it, but uh, Tyler, who was on episode three of the podcast... Um, no, was it him or was it Tad? Either him or my boy Tad got the starter set for 5e. And they uh, we got a group of us. It was myself, Zach, Joel, Tyler, Tadashi, and Garrett. And uh, Tyler was our dungeon master, and we played through the starter set. I was a rogue, and that's why I, I like my rogues. Um, when I play a rogue, I like being a sneaky bitch and all that fun stuff. Um, we got to we did two sessions of it and I, 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 I had a lot of fun with it um, and then I didn't do a campaign until Preston approached me at work one day and is like hey I'm working on a Dungeons and Dragons campaign with superpowers you want in and I said yes and that introduced me to and that got me even more honestly that's i would say that's where like my love for the game happened right that's good i'm glad my campaign was an influence too dude your campaign was so so good this dude created a world that it was it was just fucking mm, delicious like i would eat it up like a plate of spaghetti if i wasn't on keto well yeah, that, I mean, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel good. Um, but uh, you, you, you DM now, don't you? I uh, yeah. So I uh, come my fourth year of college, uh, where I'm back in my hometown, uh, attending state, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, my group uh, Jackson. He approaches me. Uh, he's been on the podcast uh, twice. Uh, if you're an avid listener. He approaches me and is like, hey, Toner, how's it going? I want to 
get into the want to start a RTBN Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And I'm like, okay, um, sure. I I had the starter set because I bought it in Leth. And I'm like, you know what? I gotta, I want to have it just because there might be one day when who knows, I might be asked to Dungeon Master or something. And lo and behold, that day finally came. And I'm like, okay, I'll Dungeon Master for you guys. Just to make a sheet, figure out who's all interested, and I'll happily be the Dungeon Master for you guys. Um, and we got, we got quite a lot of... There was a lot of people who were interested. Um, and I definitely made like a rookie mistake of the amount of people that, they, that, that were there. Now, like we started like the first session, there were only like three of them. And I'm like, oh, this is perfectly manageable. But then came session two. And I, I believe I told you, but you want to take a guess on how many people I jumped to, we jumped to for that session only? I think it was eight. Uh, let me let me try to double check and count. We had our two pal we had two paladins, our barbarian, our rogue, bard. Oh, what else was there? Wizard. No, two wizards. No, I believe it was three wizards. A druid and Oprah. That's 10. That's 10. Oh, wait, no, there was another one. There was 11. Oh, wow. That's way <laughs> too much. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, but, to, you know, to balance it out, I'm like, okay, God, here goes nothing. And um, so I had kind of, like, altered the starter set. So kind of, like, because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to just do the starter set. I want to, like, put a little twist on it. Um, so taking a bit of inspiration from Preston's world... Um, uh, I bring in the use of like the soul cycle that Preston created because it's just like a fucking phenomenal thing that, that the soul cycle is. Uh, and um, what like uh, some of my past characters that I've played in a few of his campaigns uh, to start out, just as like mystery characters are like who who are these people Ooh. kind of like little Easter eggs for myself. Um. That eventually, like, they all came to know and love. Um, and basically, I'm like, okay, it's, your guys are up against zombies. And there's a lot of them. And so turns go by. And they're doing fairly well against the zombies. Um, and that's when things, I'm like, okay, no, it's starting to get tiring. A few people ended up leaving because of how late we went. Uh, I'm just like, okay. And so we just dealt with that. And then I, ended, I think three of them died at the end of it. At the end of the encounter, three people died. And then, from there, uh, our group of 11 turned into a much more manageable group of of about eight, but not everyone would show up to a session at one time. It was more of like, there's eight people, but like maybe four or five would show up per session. It was uh, it was honestly a lot more manageable and, and like pretty fun still when we were still able to do it in person, and then COVID happened. Um, because all this happened within this past year. Well, yeah, yeah, within this year is like when I started dungeon mastering back in January, I guess. Um, and then COVID hit, and so we moved over to Discord to do D and D online. That so everybody, um. 
so we've been doing we did it on that and we finished up our first my first campaign two three weeks ago congratulations thank you it uh by the end of it there was four consistent people and honestly and this is the same group that's now going into my new campaign that we just started up and it's a sequel which i hope is fun yes uh yes it uh, it's going well so far now here's a question i do have for you preston on dungeons and dragons Uh, What are some player tips you would give and dungeon master tips you would give for anyone who's starting out being a player and starting out being who's or someone who's like starting to become a DM from being a longtime player? Okay, Um, I'll start off with the players. Um, uh, In in the dungeon master community, or sorry, D and D community, is you don't want to be a a wangrod, which is basically. Another term for uh, that guy, <laughs> that guy, that that the one that nobody likes at the table. Yeah, um, don't be that guy, girl, whatever. Um, so don't be a rules lawyer. If the DM is new, let them or old, whatever they want to run, let them run it. And if a game doesn't work with you, announce it politely, professionally that you don't want to play. But if you are going to play, and you don't know where to start. Um, if there's multiple sources on YouTube, I highly suggest, highly, highly suggest uh, GM Tactics and Matt Colville. You should definitely look at him. He's got really good tips and advice for Dungeon Masters and players alike. Yeah. Um, I, thought I checked out his stuff. Really good. And uh, really for players is uh, a credit to a YouTuber who escapes my name. Um, but he talked about, and it's been probably the best way to put it, um, at least my my thoughts into words was you have three categories for your for your character when you're playing a game. Pick a class that's easy, one that feels cool to you, one that you can immerse yourself into. You want your class, your character to be capable, sociable, and um, what was the third category? Uh, I think it's productive. Uh, capable, meaning you're good in combat, you have you're amazing at the game. Great cool you have a cool character you're a badass you're invincible but that's cool but you have to have a likable character so you want to be sociable and um, productive means you're always supportive of the game because at the end of the day it is a game you want to be supportive of your fellow player and dungeon master so rather than just sitting there on your phone not paying attention just you know be supportive and be there in the moment so that's one thing i should say um and just really capitalize on what you can do on the class that you pick. I suggest pick three that you want to learn the most and stick with those for at least a year um, until you're comfortable with moving on. Now, on to Dungeon Master tips. Um, since I'm not as experienced as me, again, Matt Colville and other YouTube sources, very, very helpful for you. Um, I suggest breaking, starting off small. If you're going to build a map, build your own world start small pick a small area for your story to happen mm-hmm. you can have a big world even if you want to but i suggest start off small like a small section of that giant world that you want to make yeah um and break it up into categories of play and for those don't, who don't know there's tier one two three and four and five tier one is level one to five tier two is six to ten eleven to fifteen and sixteen to twenty and tier five is beyond twenty um, you want to build up campaigns related to each tier. 
So tier one, you do a story. They get to level five. That should be the end of the story. Then you can do another one that happens again at tier one and make new characters or continue on as a sequel going to tier two and so on and so forth. But the game for a dungeon master, the balancing is going to be difficult because you have easy, medium, hard, and deadly encounters. You have to learn how to balance those. You have to learn how all that works. But if you start off with tier one, two, three, and four, going all the way up slowly, you'll learn how to balance things properly. So you'll learn how to have fun with creative. Like, I want to give my players these cool magic items, but if I don't know how to balance the game, I'm going to make it really hard for myself. Yeah. So doing those definitely gets you familiar with how to dungeon master, how to set up challenges for your for your players, and it will feel fun for them because you're still learning that tier of play, and it's okay you repeat each tier because as they get higher in tier, the harder it gets. Because at tier four and five, it's not about fighting that one big bad dragon. You may have to f- throw five of them at your group. It's I'm not kidding. It's scary and how weird D&D gets. An additional thing to note is it's always the cur- challenges you put in front of your players that's challenging, challenging them. It's not the dungeon master. It's never a player versus dungeon master. That goes both ways. It's never that. Never ever make a game that punishes your players. Always groom and pave a way in front of your players, no matter which path they choose. If they go against the way you've wanted to design the game, then you have to put challenges in front of the way uh, that they want to go. An example would be, you have to get the sword to kill a legendary dragon, and only the sword can do it. Well, what if the mastermind of the group decides to take that sword, grind it up into a bunch of powder, stick it into a bomb, and throw it at the dragon instead? Instead of saying no, you can say sure, but now it becomes a stealth game. Now it becomes a resource grab. Now you have to go learn how to create, create a bomb. It's a much more difficult path, but it's more fun for the players. You have to do what they as a group think is fun. If you as a dungeon master don't think it's fun, then don't play as a dungeon master. Yeah. Um, but it's never. it should never be a players versus dungeon master. It should never be a powerhouse kind of thing where I'm the dungeon master, my word is law, you listen to me. I have a god complex. Don't do that. That is bad. That's not why we play D&D. Mm-hmm. We play it because it's fun. But those are really the tips I'd say for a dungeon master. Is Same thing with a player. Start off small, learn the best options, look at your resources, and just enjoy your little thing that you've got going. Mm-hmm. And I want to add on, like, when it comes to being a DM, um, like, when you run your first campaign, you're going to have you're gonna have like more like uh you're gonna notice like this flaws and like the unbalanced issues and it's like take it as a learning experience as well and then when you're when you're working on like a second campaign if you choose to continue dungeon mastering take what you've learned into account and just build on that um another thing is like oh none of my players have died you know this clearly isn't strong enough and hard enough a challenge the, it, the hardest part for any dungeon master is the way the game is designed is there. It's asymmetrical. The players character sheets are designed mechanically different from the monsters that the dungeon master plays. The dungeon master one has easier things, no explanation, no reason why is because the players will never see the reason why they have a plus this in a certain step. Mm-hmm. Um, it should never, it I'll, I'll, I'll say this. 
to make it easy. There's easy, medium, and hard encounters. Those are basically designed based off the overall party's player level. So let's say you have four level five players in your party. It's 5, 10, 15, 20. You have 20 points of budget to play with in a CR challenge rating. And monsters have certain challenge ratings. So let's say there's a goblin that has a CR 15, a terrifying boss. Um, and you put him in there with, let's say, four little goblins, each one CR. That is a deadly encounter. Deadly encounters are designed to be either going to kill one player or all of them. Uh, but they are fun, usually, if they're done right. Mm-hmm. Regardless, point is, every time you throw an encounter at them, no matter how ridiculously hard it is, and your players win, don't scold them, don't punish them. They're designed to win. That's how the story should go, mm-hmm. is that you want them to win. So if you're a dungeon master who thinks that, oh, none of them have died yet, or none of them gotten close to death yet, it's because my challenges aren't too hard. It's just, no, sometimes they just think really really well yeah and think, so. thinking as a player is a very important thing because if you don't think you'll just run into the dragon's lair um the dragon will sneeze on the little dwarf uh cleric and he'll go flying 500 meters that way and then splat um that's what happened to a, a dwarf in my first campaign that i played in you you'll know the players are having a really good time is when the dm just sighs unhappy that his monster just lost a saving throw and now the monster is on the good side or a spell has taken effect the players feel good Mm -hmm. they like winning that's the different dynamic between the player and the dungeon master is you have to you kind of have to be a bit wholesome and a bit selfless as a dungeon master Mm -hmm. because you have to give yeah and put challenges in front of them and their players are at the end of the day completely at your mercy however you should make the challenges fun and worthwhile mm-hmm. because the players will, you'll know you're doing right is when the players come to you and say, Hey, I'm invested in this. I want to learn more about this or, Hey, I was tearing up. That was a really good story. Um, you know, you've done your part. Yeah. When they say um, that. Um, and there's another topic I want to bring up real quick. Okay. Of the phase two dungeon master. When you're learning, I hit it. And apparently it's a very common thing. Um, phase two dungeon masters. So the first campaign a dungeon noob dungeon master plays is goes really well, seemingly. Either goes horribly <laughs> or really good for some reason. Okay. The really good for some reason happens because the DMs know it doesn't know all the rules, so it just they kind of just say yes in a way that makes it look like they know what they're doing. And so the players are put into this idea that ah, the dungeon master intends this, thus this is meant to happen. This feels great. I'm winning. We have all these cool stuff. Yay, good campaign, we win, hooray. Even though uh, uh, they don't understand that the DM behind the screen didn't really know what was going on or really know what a proper balance encounter was. So the players just think it was good. So then the next campaign that that DM will play will usually be bad, only because the DM is now learning how to balance encounters and is focusing too hard on that and will make it not fun because the players will begin to lose. So if you are going to follow this route, I always suggest communicate with your players how feral your campaign is going to be. A Dark Souls is lethal. Oh, that absolutely. will kill you in every, every corner. Uh, Legend of Zelda, not so lethal. Well, I There's mean, two- uh, early game Breath of the Wild is very lethal. 
Well, you know, it depends on the game, right? But that's that's just it. Yeah. You have to communicate with your players how feral your game is going to be. And if you're learning a new balancing system for encounters, you should warn them, that, hey, I'm going to throw some pretty scary stuff at you because I'm learning how to balance this now, how to actually challenge you guys. So it's not going to be like the first campaign. But always let your players do what they want to do and put challenges in front of them accordingly mm-hmm. and realistically. Don't just go, no. Don't railroad Yeah. Them. Um, and players, please, for the love of God, talk to the DM if you have a problem and let the DM explain to it because the DM could say it will be answered to you shortly or, hey, you're right, I did mess up here. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. Or, hey, I'm glad you aren't happy with the game right now. Let's collaborate together rather than someone up and leaving because they're just angry at you. Yeah, don't just go re guys. Actually, have a conversation. Um, Because I did lose a few friends that way. Um, It's because they wasted my time. And yeah, I I don't, I personally don't stand for that. Communicate with your DM because maybe the DM doesn't know. Because they they are a human. They are not a video game. They're not an algorithm. They are a human. We are not not algorithms. We are humans. So, but that's really all the tips I could say. Again, better, more detailed tips. On YouTube, yeah. check them out, Matt, Matt Colville. Col- yeah, Matt Colville definitely. It's like a ninety-plus ser- part series of like starting yeah. the campaign to every little detail in between. Um, Matt Mercer, I heard people like to be like Mad Mer- Matt Mercer, and he has his own instructional videos on how yeah. to like, be good. But they're only twelve minutes long, mm-hmm. and but they're like, really they're- just very broad. Yeah, they're not detailed like Matt Colville's. Uh, Matt Mercer is a good example. He is a good example of how a DM looks in action. Yeah. Matt Colville discusses how the science and mechanics of that action works, which is the real meat and juice of it. And if the two of them had a baby, it's the perfect, that's the perfect human right there. And don't try to copy other DMs. D&D is like an art style. Everyone has their different type of play. Everyone has their different type of DMing. So... Um, like you can try, you can try to take inspiration from them, but like when it comes to like execution, you you think while you think you might be like them, you're definitely not. Exactly. Like I've taken a lot of inspiration from Preston when it came to my first campaign, but like as it went on, like I'm my own. Like I'm I realized like even though like seeing Preston in action has like helped me become a dungeon master, it's very like my style is very different from his. Um, and th- that's okay. And same thing goes to the players. Certain players like certain campaigns. Yeah. So, uh, I do have a quick question that we uh, that I do want to throw at you before we talk about some D and D memories. Uh, All right. What would you say are the three best classes that a first time player could choose from? All right. Best classes to start off with. Yeah. Um really comes down to how your brain works. I'll break it down this way for you. If you are someone who's a slow learner, complex tasks and things to remember is not your strong suit. I definitely 110% recommend the fighter and barbarian um, and monk. They are sorry, not monk yeah. rogue. Yeah. Rogue fighter and barbarian. Super easy. You hit stuff. That's it. The barbarian jumps into a one V 20 and claps everything in the face yeah. rage, fighter, rage bonus is great um 
fighter um, multi-hit pick, picks two or three targets and is going to make them have a very bad day. And, and the rogue, the rogue sneaky sneak goes, sneaks, lots of stealth, lots of pickpocketing, lots of lock picking, and especially that juicy. They only get one good hit and then they got to run. But they go in there, get that target down, several hundred health, and then they get out of there. Mm-hmm. The rogues are really good at one attack damage. Um, but they're really strong at um, outside of role play that doesn't include magic. Um, if your brain likes a little bit of playing around and comboing and stuff, I suggest Druid, uh, Bard, and uh, um, Monk. I definitely suggest those three if you're kind of in the midfield of you like to experiment with stuff. It dips a little bit into spellcasters as well. Um, but there are classes that help you outside of combat mm-hmm. as well, if combat isn't your strong suit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the top, if you like to think, and your brain needs to strategize, needs to be very situational, needs to have every ground covered, you want to be a cleric, you want to be a wizard, um, and uh, maybe a, a, like a paladin or something like yeah. that. But wizard and cleric are probably my personal favorite and best. Paladins, clerics, rangers, um, they're all right. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're okay classes. They kind of just mooch off of others, mm-hmm. I think. But I would uh, say a I will, paladin is a great multi-class with a rogue. Just saying. Don't play a ranger. <laughs> only because there are other classes that can do what it does better. The ranger is really good at tracking one thing, but also a wizard can do the exact same thing with a single spell. So um, I'd, I'd suggest picking those three if you want to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now uh, I want to talk about some D&D memories, Preston. Uh, mm-hmm. Memories you've had as like a player or as a DM. Uh, of just like some really fun times or really uh, scary times that have happened um, throughout some campaigns. I-, I would like to start if you don't mind. Go ahead. So um, we go to, I believe, I want to say this was my s- third campaign I played with Preston. I was uh, a combo that I brought up a little bit earlier uh, the Paladin Rogue combo. Uh, my name was Longris High Moon. And, uh, he had a sniper rifle. And uh, we were up against uh, this horde of uh, Zaether, a custom uh, unique enemy that Preston has built. And uh, the big bad uh, boss of this of this horde um, shows himself. And, uh, crouched down, hit a roll, and uh, blast the dude's head, head straight off. You remember that? Yeah, I do. That was a time. I think what made it cool was the description of how that went down. It did, yeah. Um, is that it? That's one of them. Um, I have a few from my personal campaign, but I'd like you to go uh, hit some hit some of yours right now. Um, uh, for those players who are new to D&D and want to know how much of a low life I am. I uh, just look up how to become a lich in D&D, and I did that. I did that word for word, step by step. I did everything. And uh, yeah, it sucked getting there, but the reward was so worth it. Um, 
but yeah, I think that was the best day I had on Dungeons and Dragons as a player was achieving that. There's never been a moment that's been better than that. Um, um, as dungeon master, I think my favorite, my absolute favorite session had to be. It just recently happened in my campaign Ooh. when they fought a bandit camp. They fought a bunch of bandits. Nothing new, but just it. The fight went down so well. It was so interesting, so tense, um, and it was fun. All the players had fun. I had fun. Probably the most fun I've had as a dungeon master was that session. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have uh, two more stories for you from my memory. My memories. Uh, the first was uh, the very first day. Was it the first? Yeah, no, first day one of the of that first campaign with Preston that I joined in. Uh, we meet everybody. Everybody meets up in the group. And we go on the first mission, which is to deal with an orc problem, an orc horde, an orc army that's about to attack a a royal house. And uh, so we get there. We fight the orcs. Uh, I think I spent most of that time running to point to point. And I didn't do (laughs) much combat in that fight. No. (laughs) Um, But then we, uh, the leader... Um, shows up because he was catapulted over the horse, over right into the house in a like, almost like a an eject pod, almost escape pod, almost like type device, and he killed the guy that we were trying to protect. And then I roll to persuade of this like, stop being bad, and he did. That that yeah. honestly is like probably like my f- like when I think of D and D like of like telling people about the things you can do that is like the story that I always tell. I think a better story. What you did personally, my favorite accomplishment from you was you took a mission to go hunt down a cult, and they were just experimenting with dead bodies to make them come back in the middle of nowhere, and they had a series of magic items. Um, I know um, which one you're talking about. I forgot. I completely forgot that one. Yes, tell it. Where, um, there's two rooms where one one of them seemed to have the bad, 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 big bad guy in, and the other room had a bunch of stash. They went to the stash and uh, um, found like a book and all that stuff, but they decided to leave it. So they went back to the big bad evil guy, talked to him, and. Uh, kind of like persuaded their way to like kind of getting on his good side of it and saying, yeah, we can join you. I have a journal. I can go all write these notes down in missions that you give us. Can you give me a sec? I have to go up back upstairs and grab my journal. The villain said, sure, you can go do that. Anthony went up and didn't grab his journal, grabbed a book that put you to sleep. Um, it was that he found in the stash. So he grabbed that book and went down, gave it to the villain. The villain read it. Um, or sorry, not read it to put his missions and tasks in the journal, opened the book and instantly fell asleep. They tied up the villain and they captured him. Um, it was probably one of the smartest plays that Anthony has done. And I think it was really cool how he just went outside the box. Honestly, that would surprise me myself. Cause it was that moment there was just so like, I remember when it went off, I was, I, I was like laughing my ass off, honestly, cause it worked. Yeah, you were cheering. I was. was 
and, and and that's just another scenario where the DM just doesn't go, no, it's it's okay. The player thought outside the box, reward him. <clears throat> and if and if the save, the villain makes the save. Yeah, because you had to make a save to see if you even fell asleep or not. Yeah, and he failed it with an actual one. <laughs> oh my god. Uh that was a good that was a good time, honestly. That was a really fun time. Yeah. Um so I have uh two more from my uh the the, the campaign that I uh just did. So um one thing that I brought into my campaign was uh, a very infamous magic item known as the deck of many things. Um and I'm like and uh so um, when I, when Sean, our boy, Sean was part of the campaign before he just kind of la- dipped, um, he, he was able to explain to the newbies what the, the deck of many things was and how it was like very reward and very consequential at the same time. Um, so they got the wish spell, um, from the deck. And so they're going to this Island to find, um, one of these uh, purple cubes that'll like lead to a map or build that's part of a map. Uh, and so they go to the general store just to stock up on supplies. Um, and they had just finished using their deck of many things. Like it, they had just used it up um, and whatnot. And so in this store, they ha- and they had to roll like pretty high to get the perception on it to see, in the little back with a covered a bit of dust is a little box with some scribings on it. And what is it? It's another deck of many things. And it, it kind of became like a joke of my campaign um, because I think they went through three of them by the end of it. Uh, but uh, Jackson being... No, 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 no. It was Dawson. Dawson egged him on. It was Jackson who made the wish, but Dawson kind of egged him on. And I think Mark did too. But to put the story short, Jackson wished for a million gold. Or I think it was like a little more than that. It was like a lot of gold. And I'm like, okay, are you okay? That's what you wish for? And he's like, yes, man, I'm making the wish. And so the building, because it was, it was like a small, it wasn't very big. It was pretty small. I'm like, okay, I need you guys to all make like a deck saving throw as like a reaction. Cause, and uh, everyone made the saving throw except for Jackson, and so Jackson almost drowned in a flood of gold coins. <laughs> and I, I that's that was like probably one of my most evil moments. But it's just like the opportunity has presented itself, and I'm just like, you know what? That's funny. And they still got what they wanted. They got the million gold, and that's how much uh, the deck of many things cost. Um. Plus, like, store damage. Um, so, th- they didn't get the gold, but they got the deck in the end. And Jackson almost died. And then, uh, honestly, at the end of my campaign, this is the second memory I'm going into. Um, when I fin- when all was said and done, um, I got some messages from the group. And they and uh, they said, dude, I almost cried from that ending. That was really good. And you see, I never thought I would get that kind of praise for the campaign. Um, and I was like, dang, like Preston made me cry. Well, well, again, I said this at the beginning of the, of the episode, Preston has made me cry twice, once in happiness and once in fear. Uh, 
The fear one was because of a giant dinosaur that could eat you whole. But the one of happiness that Preston got me to cry about was a mother and daughter that we reunited. And uh it's a pretty good wholesome story. It was. It was. Um But the fact that they said that about my campaign was just like really like got me to, got me tearing up too a bit. Because I never thought that with my first campaign I would actually be able to do that. I was like thinking like maybe my second campaign, sure, maybe if I'm good enough still, but like that really it also it gave me some validation that like the I can do this DM thing. Yeah, so like yeah. I it's it's story in D D is a very big part. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to add about D D before we head into the grab bag, Preston? Uh no, I think we can move on. Now. Alrighty then. Now we're going to, all right, let's move on to the grab bag, which is a variety of smaller bits that we put on just before the end of the podcast. And we're going to start with some draw of the deck um, with some TCG news. And uh, there's not a lot this week. Um, Only thing is uh, Pokemon this week. No Yu-Gi-Oh news, no Magic the Gathering news. Um, For Pokemon, the legendary beat uh, Japan set, which is Japan's next uh, set for the Pokemon TCG. It's dropping on July 10th. That's the next closest thing. Everything else within the TCG world, it's kind of nothing yet. So hopefully next week we'll see some more news on those. Uh, Now we're going to jump into Retro Reminder, where we talk about a retro game for like two or three minutes because we're actually uh, running low on time. Uh, So Preston, you ever heard of a game called uh, Pokemon Diamond and Pearl? Yes. That's what we're talking about for the next like two, three minutes. Okay. So what is well, Diamond and Pearl? We both have like a very, I would say special connection with Diamond and Pearl. Cause like it's, we've both played them. We've both enjoyed them. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, what do you like about Diamond and Pearl? I think it was my first Pokemon game. So I think that's what it was for me. The graphics weren't that, weren't that bad. Um, I don't know. I'm being a kid. Very, very much enjoyed it. Um, it's nostalgic for me. Pokemon Legendaries look, I think, I think hands down, Diamond and Pearl are, and uh, Platinum are probably the coolest looking Legendaries, uh, just for me at least. Honestly, maybe I would, ag- I would agree. I think they're the strongest. I don't know. Uh, strongest. I'm trying to think. Uh, Gen one was just a psychic type. Gen two, both flying types. Gen three. Well, the, I, think, I think they're the gods of time, time and space <laughs> and distortion. And then God himself. Yeah, Arceus. Yeah. So I, I, I believe, like, if you're comparing it on, like, a real-world scale, yeah, I think that uh, Gen 5 has strongest. Yeah. I mean, Gen 4. Gen 4. God. No, Gen 5 is truth and ideals. That's what Rasherham and Zekrom are based off of. Yeah, the uh, Gen 4 had some pretty intense ones, and I... Uh... What, what what's your favorite legendary? Oh god. Uh Honestly, I really like Darkrai. Hmm. Like that's probably like up there for me. My favorite legendary has to be Garatina. I love mm. love Garatina. Yeah. That's a pretty good one too. But uh yeah. That's it's just my first Pokemon game that I've ever played. So. Oh, here's a question: When you did play it the first time, were you able to get Steelix off the bat? Uh, friend traded it to oh, me. That's pretty um, good. 
Um, and it, my first two Pokemon, my strongest was Steelix and then Alakazam. Ooh! Look yeah. at this boy. I had level 80 Alakazam and a level 72 Steelix. Nice. Well, which starter did you pick? Um, I picked Tor- uh, Tor- Turtwig. Or- yeah, Turtwig to Torterra. Yes. That's a good one. That's a good one. And that's Retro Reminder, where we remind you a game exists. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Let's jump into the achievement of the week. And that is in F1 2020. It's called My Precious. And that is to set a favorite trophy in the game. And the game of the week, I'm giving it to Deadly Premonition 2. A lot of people have been looking forward to this game for quite some time. So. That's my game of the week this week of not a lot coming out this week. Thank you, Preston, for joining me on this week's episode of Tony Game Lounge. No problem. Happy to be here. Yes. Now, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's I might be changing my name soon to it, but it, right now it's gauntlet underscore. I think there's two underscores. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, and that's really mainly where I operate. I don't have Twitter or anything like that, um, which I should be getting on. But um, yeah, no, right now you can just find me on, on yeah, Instagram. Go check him out. He's got some cool art, yeah, cool designs. DM, send me a DM if you want to chat. And yeah. All right. And as always, you can find me at Tony at, at Radio Tony on Twitter and at radio underscore guy underscore Tony on Instagram. And be sure to follow Tony's gaming, Tony's game lounge on Facebook as that's where all the updates can be found. And of course we stream, even though I've been bad and haven't streamed for a while, but we most usually stream on Wednesdays and Fridays at 1 PM mountain standard time. If I'm not doing other things, because I've been doing a lot of other things this week and I haven't actually streamed this week at all, but Hey, that's, that's life that when life throws you lemons you don't stream (laughs) uh thanks again preston for joining me this week of course no problem and i hope to have you on in future episodes down the line as well i'd love to all right and thank you the listener for tuning in and we will see you all next week on tony's game lounge Thank you for listening to Tony's Game Lounge. Tune in every Sunday for new episodes. 